0: Hostility, it it means exactly what that word says, hostility. They weren't nice to him. And he endured hostility against himself. (laughs) But now look at that. He, He says, consider it. I want you to remember what Jesus endured. Consider it so that you don't grow weary. That word consider means to think it over, to ponder it to contemplate it. It, The verb form means to meditate upon it. It's a command. It's It's not a suggestion. We're commanded to consider what Jesus endured, how people were so hostile to him, and yet he endured it. He was mistreated. The writer of Hebrews is saying, let that sink in as you're suffering so that you won't become weary and grow discouraged. The writer is drawing a picture here for us without even telling us much. We we, we need to understand that something is going on to the people he's writing to so that they're being put in danger of becoming weary and growing discouraged. We know if we've read the whole book that they were undergoing persecution and suffering at that time and and that's what's going on in the background that's gonna make them discouraged and become weary. You see, I don't know about you, but sometimes... When I go through hard times, when I'm suffering, when when I'm being persecuted, I grow weary. Anybody besides me grow weary. and, And sometimes, just sometimes, I know you're far more spiritual than I am, but sometimes I get discouraged. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know what? The next time that happens, can you consider and contemplate and meditate on what Jesus endured and what he suffered so that you will not grow weary and discouraged when you understand that everything Jesus suffered, everything Jesus went through hmm, was so that God could be better glorified in his life. Oh, does anybody love that beside me? I just, I'm not going to waste the pain if I have to go through pain. If I have to run the yucky race that's been set out before me, I'm going to run it with endurance because I'm going to know that if I do that, God is going to be glorified in me. I'm not going to grow weary and be like pity party of one. Look at my bad life. I'm going to endure it for the joy that's been set before me. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. He acted in faith. He endured it because of faith. And at the end, his faith was vindicated. And so will yours and mine. Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, said, think how Jesus wrestled and let your consideration of him nerve you for your struggle and brace up every muscle of your spirit so that you will be determined as he won so will you by divine help of him who is the originator and perfecter of our faith. Scripture says, turn away from everything else that would distract you and look out for the sin that's trying to ensnare you. You see, that's what happened. What, when suffering comes or trials come or when somebody's persecuting you or hurting you, what's the first thing you want to do? I want to get even. I'm just telling you, that's who I am. <laughs> and, and I just want to do that sometimes. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, No, 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 don't do that. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's trying to trap you and keep you from running well. Don't go there. Throw it off and run with perseverance. Turn away from that stuff and focus on Jesus. It's a trap to take you out of your race. He says, Consider this, contemplate on this because I don't want you to become weary and discouraged. That word weary there means a weariness of mind. It's very fascinating to me. I, I've been doing some study on how our mental state and our pain in our life, emotional pain in our life, can cause physical trouble, physical problem sickness. I've been, I've been doing some reading on that. And, and so this was fascinating to me that the word weary there means weariness of mind. But it also, if you look it up in the Greek, uh, in the original translation... It means to become sick. Oh, I didn't make that up. Look it up. It's what it says. And and sometimes I think our weariness of mind, when we meditate on our suffering and how we've been done dirty and how so many people have hurt us and we stay stuck in the trauma of our past, I'm just telling you, church, I just really believe that it causes a physical sickness in us. I just do. do says, so that you don't become weary and lose heart. And that word, lose heart, means to weaken, to exhaust. It means to become weary and striving against sin. It says, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You've heard me teach on what the soul is. What is it? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. (laughs) When you're suffering, I want you to contemplate what Jesus did and how for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, how he endured hostility against himself. (laughs) so that you don't grow weary and discouraged in your souls, so that your emotions don't get the best of you, and that you don't go off in depression and despair and hopelessness, and you don't go into that pity party of one. And then he goes on and says, because here's what, you've not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. What you're going through might be bad, but you didn't die on a cross. It's not taking your life. Your suffering is bad, but it's not as bad as it could be. Kind of like if you would have said, suck it up, buttercup. So why is life so hard and painful at times? You say, well, Rhea the devil, the devil is doing this. Really? Because when I read the Bible, I read that we've been delivered from the devil's power. I I read that he's under my feet. So why then? Why do we suffer? Why do we have to endure hostility? Why do we have to go through pain? Look at verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son he receives. You see, this is about discipline. Discipline. Whether you like it or not, it's about the discipline of God. The word for discipline here in the Greek is used of the training of children. He says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? We're sons, we should expect to be disciplined. That's the nature of a loving father. It's to be expected. It's to be anticipated. You shouldn't be surprised by it. Have you forgotten you're a son? And good fathers discipline their sons. Notice it's discipline. It's not punishment. Those are two different words. See, some of you are like, the Lord is punishing me. No. He might be disciplining you. But those are two different words. The word chasten there denotes the training of children. It suggests the Christian discipline that regulates character. It's the whole training and education of children which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals. It employs for this purpose commands and admonitions, reproof and punishment. Whatever in adults also cultivates the soul, especially by correcting mistakes and curbing passions. It's instruction That aims at increasing virtue in us. It comes from the root word meaning to to train children, to instruct. Like it or not, we are being parented. And good parents discipline their children. It doesn't have to do with punishment. It has to do with instruction and correction. If you hear the word discipline and you think punishment, you have a messed up mind, messed up thinking there. You're not correct. You're confused. Discipline is what you do in order to effect change in behavior. Punishment is is the consequences of bad behavior. Punishment has one purpose, to inflict vengeance. In punishment, the objects are God's enemies, The purpose of discipline is to produce virtue. In discipline, the objects are his children. To whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he corrects. Andrew Murray wrote, God has no pleasure in afflicting us, but he will not keep back even the most painful chastisement if he can thereby guide his beloved child to come home and abide in the beloved son. You see, God is doing something in us in his discipline. And here's what he's doing. Listen to me. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He's making us more like Jesus. Every discipline I've ever had from God in my Christian walk has made me more like him. Sons, daughters. Fathers discipline their children because they love them. Look at the do nots in this verse. He says, do not lose heart. Do not be discouraged when you're rebuked by them. And what, what that means is to sink down into some level of despondency, to have a poor me pity of one's spirit, to, to go to bed, to, 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 to walk around depressed. Notice he says, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees because that's what we're like. Well, when we're going through a hard time, Well, when we're going through a time where God is saying, I saw something in you, and I'd really like to correct that. And so I'm going to bring this circumstance into your life. I'm going to allow the enemy to bring this circumstance. See, some of you have a hard time with this, but if God is not more powerful than the enemy, why are we worshiping him? If God cannot stop what's coming at me, why am I worshiping him? He allows, he permits, but it's only for my good. Everything he does is to bring something good in me. And so he says, I'm going to allow this thing because I see something that needs to change. And so I'm going to allow this thing to come to correct you. Why would we run from that? Why would we not embrace that? But this is what we do. We hang down with our feeble our arms and our feeble legs. And we say, do you know how bad my life is right now? And do you know everything I'm going through? And do you know what happened to me 20 years ago? And he says, strengthen your arms and your feeble knees and make straight the path before you. And then he says, so that what is lame may not be dislocated. I'm not, I'm not denying you're lame right now, but hurry it up and straighten that past, so what's lame is not dislocated, and rather be healed and made whole. God's whole purpose in our life is to bring correction, to bring training, to bring life to us so that we can be made whole. I've seen such ugly stuff in Christians. We pray tonight about disunity and discord. If you are part of bringing disunity and discord into the body of Christ, if you are gossiping, if you are talking about people behind their backs, if you are saying nasty, unkind things, oh my goodness. I have no time for that. That brings disunity, discord into the body of Christ. And God will correct that, I promise you. I promise you, he will bring something into your life to put his finger on that and say, it needs to be cleaned up. My Monday night team will tell you, it's Ria for them, where I will say, "Mm mm-mm, that's ugly. Team, am I I exaggerating one bit at all? I will say, that is ugly, and we need to look at that. That is not pleasing to God, and we need to look at that. (laughs) But I promise you, if you are participating in that stuff, God will correct you because he is interested in conforming you into his image. And the last time I looked, he was not a gossip. He did not bring division and discord. He did not hurt people. He did not say nasty things about people. He was not rude. And I promise you, he will bring correction because every good father disciplines their child well that wasn't in my notes so let's get back to my notes verse 6 says that the Lord those the Lord loves he disciplines the design of God's God is love our pain is not the effect of God's hate John Piper says but the effect of God's love he addresses us as a father addresses his son but it's always out of love always out of love so we look at the difficult things in life, the trials, the traumas, the pain, and we must view them as the training of God in our life instead of resist them. We have to settle this in our minds. Because if we don't, we will end up, as Scripture says here, with the root of bitterness coming out of us. Verse 7 says, endure hardship as discipline. I want you to see that. Endure hardship as discipline. Endure hardship, hard times, hard times as discipline God is treating you as his children he's identifying scripture is identifying hardship as God's discipline I'm sorry you can argue with me till you're blue in the face I've done the studying hardship is God's discipline God is treating you as a child for what child for what children are not disciplined by their father God is treating you as a, as, as a child. You're not illegitimate. I'm an illegitimate child. Do you know that? I was, my father that raised me is not my father. And my mother had an affair um, and I was conceived in that affair. And I grew up most of my life believing that the father who raised me was my biological father. And, and then I met the father who provided sperm for me. <laughs> and he died six days later in the restaurant that I met him at. And That father never corrected me. He never disciplined me. He didn't have anything to do with me. That's what happens with illegitimate children. And God is saying, if he's working in your life and he's correcting you and he's allowing situations that are hard in your life, it's for a purpose. It's because you're his children and he's disciplining you. He's training you. He's correcting you because he wants you conformed in his image. Praise the Lord, you're not an illegitimate child. He says, no correction seems pleasant or joyful in the present. Isn't that true? <laughs> but afterward, verse 12, or verse 11, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, we have to be trained by it. We have to put ourselves up under it. We have to submit to it instead of resisting it. And if we do that, if we allow his correction and his discipline in our life, here's the promise. It will produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. Do you not want that in your life? He says, I know this doesn't feel good right now. And I know that it's, it's, not, uh, it's not joyful in the present, but painful. But he says, afterwards, I promise you, if you just stay with this, if you just endure this like I did the cross, if you just embrace this and say, Father, not my will, but yours, you don't let me, done, you don't let me be done with this until you've cultivated what you want to cultivate in me. I promise you, afterward, it's going to produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness in your life. He says that some fathers, he, says, they, 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 he said, you've, you've submitted yourself to a human father who corrected you and you paid them respect. See, some human fathers are, are too strict. Some are not strict enough. But he said, no matter what, you paid them respect and they were human fathers. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection, willingly, voluntarily submit ourselves to the father of spirits and live? Oh, this is so good. That word live there is just powerful. It, it, it means fullness of life. The, the word emphasizes living life to the full as God intended it to be. Oh, I love it. I love it. Living life to the full as God intended it to be. Spurgeon says, instead of giving God the reverence when we're chasing the reverence that he, he, he deserves we murmur and complain against him, calling him to account in our judgment seat. It's not fair, God, you shouldn't have done this. You mustn't love me if you're, if you're allowing this in my life. And what did I do to deserve this? You didn't do anything. You're a, you're a legitimate son and he's correcting you. Praise the Lord. But see, that's what we do. Dave, I can't believe God's allowing this in my life. I'm just gonna be miserable I can't believe you're making me go through this again, Lord. Instead of saying, yay, I'm a son. I'm legitimate. And he says, you submit it to your earthly fathers. And it just seemed, they disciplined you and with what seemed best to them. But here's the great thing. This father, your heavenly father, he disciplines you for your profit. Verse 10, that you may be partakers in his holiness. He's correcting you. And he's training you so that you can be a partaker in his holiness. Man, anybody besides me want that. I am so sick of powerless Christians. I'm so sick of uh, of church people looking no different than unbelieving people. I want to be a partaker in his holiness. You see, yes, that's my position. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've been declared holy. That is my position, but that is not always my condition. And you see, his discipline is training me. It's correcting me so that I can become a partaker in his holiness. So he says, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. So that what is disabled may not be uh, dislocated, Uh, what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. And then he goes on and he says, well, I want to just look at that scripture a little bit more. Notice that it involves the will. That when I'm being corrected, when I'm being disciplined, when I'm having a hard thing happen in my life, when I'm going through a trial, I have to, it involves my will, He says, you strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. That means it's a decision that I'm making to not take on that body language, to not take on that pity party of me, to not look pathetic. Joyce Meyer says, you can be pitiful or you can be powerful. You can be pathetic. (laughs) So often, I think we're happy to be pitiful and pathetic instead of powerful. I do want power. And so he says, make the choice that when, when all of this stuff is coming at you in life, that you don't get bitter about it, that you don't get pathetic about it, that you say, Lord, cultivate holiness in me. I want to be a partaker of your holiness. Then 14, verse 14, he says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. It seems a little schizophrenic, doesn't it? He's talking about discipline and then all of a sudden he says, pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It seems a little odd that that verse is just stuck in there. And he says, and don't let any bitter root grow up within you because it'll grow up and defile many. And so I was just studying this. I've been studying this for the past couple of weeks. and, And I'm like, Lord, why is that in there after discipline? You know what I think? I think he uses people a lot to correct and discipline us. Don't raise your hand, but anybody have any of those people in your life? <laughs> Renee. <laughs> that he uses people. That, he's, that he allows them in our life to act in a way that's unbecoming so that we can say... Because if you look at that word pursue, it means to chase after. And the word peace there, stay with me, this is so good. The word peace there is a condition of freedom from disturbance, whether outwardly or inwardly within the soul. It implies health, well-being, and prosperity. It implies inner rest and well-being. Can I just tell you what he's saying is pursue peace with all people. I'm going to chase after peace with you you do not get the chance to take me out of my place of well-being. What you do to me, how you treat me, how nasty you are is not going to move me because I am going to pursue peace, inner well-being with all men. Nobody is going to get the right to take that from me. And holiness. So now I'm not only going to not let you disturb me, I'm gonna act holy back to you. I'm gonna display holiness. I'm gonna love you even when you were nasty. I'm gonna be nice to you even when you gossiped about me behind my back. I'm gonna display Christ to you even if you don't deserve it. Because without which, no one will see the Lord. See, here's how I preach this Leslie will tell you I wanna see the Lord. I'm going to pursue peace with all people and holiness because I want to see the Lord at work in my life. I want to see him at work and the situations around me. That's how I preach that. And I think it's right. But this week when I was studying it, the Lord said, you're going to pursue peace and not let that person take you out of a place of inner rest and well-being. And you're going to pursue holiness with them and display it to them. Because without that, Rhea, they won't see the Lord. That nasty, nasty person who's a gossip and has nothing better to do in life than talk about you, (laughs) they won't even have a chance to see the Lord if you don't respond to them. That's good, especially in the context of it's all about God letting that person in my life to correct something in me that was ugly, that maybe would have struck back once upon a time. I'm telling you, ask anybody that knows me, they will tell you, don't mess with me because I'm pretty good on my feet. Dave will always say, you can't win an argument with you, Rhea. You can't. And and that is something that the Lord has worked in my life to deliver me from. But that flesh will still rise up, I promise you. And and so God sends people in my life that I want to say, I'm going to tell you a thing or two. Praise the Lord. I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. You need to have this. And the Lord said, no, 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 Rhea. You're going to pursue peace with them and holiness. And you're going to let them see the Lord in you. And you're going to let me put my finger on that thing in your heart that wants to respond that way, that wants to have the final word, that wants to get even, that wants to point out their flaws to them, that wants to make sure that you let them know how out of line they are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct that in you, sweet girl, because <laughs> I want you to be a partaker in my holiness, and I want you to understand the peaceable fruit of righteousness at work in your life. And when you act like that, you can't have peaceable fruit of righteousness. You're miserable. See why I think that scripture is there? And then he goes on to say, looking carefully, because, Rhea, lest you should do that and still be angry inside, lest you should pursue peace with them and holiness, but you're ticked off at me, Rhea, because I allowed that person in your life to hurt you like that, or that I let them get away with it, or... (laughs) So here's what I need to tell you. I need you to look carefully, examine yourself carefully, lest there be any root of bitterness that grows up within you, that's there undetected. You see, because Church, we're so good at this. I I know you're not, because you guys are super good. I'm just talking to myself here. But, because you know, you're you're spiritual. You rock on with your bad self. I'm so sick of that. I can't even tell you how sick I get of that. That's super spiritual. We are so good at this. Oh, sister, we need to pray for you right now that you, del- you get delivered from that. Take off your spiritual mask and you just look diligently within yourself. Because dear one, I don't want there to be a bitter root in you that grows up and starts defiling many. So God says, Rhea, you see, roots are, are, are interesting, aren't they? They're underneath the surface. I can hide them. I have no idea what roots are under my ground right now outside. They're well hidden. But in the spring, something's going to sprout up out of the ground. And then I'll know what kind of root was there. Notice it's a root of bitterness. Bitterness is the fruit. The root is hidden. Usually a root of bitterness is anger, unforgiveness, jealousy, hatred. What else? insecurity, self-pity. Come on, what else? And bitterness will grow out of all of those things. Those are roots that are buried that you don't want to look at. And God says, I want you to look carefully. Look diligently. Because weeds grow fast. Lest any root of bitterness be in you and it will grow up and defile many. Here's what I used to say about that scripture. I would say, Did I not lest I'd say, it's not just going to defile you. It's going to defile the grocery store clerk. It'll defile the man down the street. And this week, the Lord said to me, no, bitter roots defile many people because they don't look diligently within themselves. And yes, it'll grow up and defile many, but it defiles many people who refuse to look diligently within their soul. So then look what he says right after that. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. I love that. Lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become troubled. We can't. We got to go back and look at that. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Uh, Fall short means to fall short, to to miss the mark. Who, I'm going to fall short of the grace of God. Now you've heard me preach on the grace of God. Grace is God's enabling power. Grace is not this cheap grace that we throw out. Grace, the same grace that saved me. I've been saved by grace. There was nothing I could do to earn it. I got saved by grace, by God's enabling power. And that same grace that saved me now enables me to walk out in obedience his command. Do you see that? It is by grace that I've been saved, saved and delivered to heaven. There's nothing I can do to earn my way to heaven. But now that same grace enables me to be conformed in his likeness, enables me to walk out. It's an enabling power inside of me. So he says, (laughs) Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace, God's enabling power. It means to inspect and beware lest you fall short of the grace of God. You fail to be a partaker in the enabling power of God to say no to unforgiveness, to say no to hatred, to say no to jealousy, to say no to offense, to say no to self-pity. And when I don't partake in that enabling power to do that, I become better. Or I don't partake in the enabling power to walk through whatever challenge God has allowed in my life whatever discipline he's allowed in my life. When I start doing that, when I, when I forget his enabling power, Lord, whatever circumstance you just allowed to come into my life, whatever hardship, whatever trial you've just allowed, I thank you. I thank you that the same grace that saved me is working inside of me and that it's gonna enable me to walk this out well and that I'm gonna, I'm gonna endure it for the joy set before me because I have the enabling power of God in me. If I don't partake in that grace and I fall short of it, I'm going to be like, you don't love me, Lord. You allowed this in my life. You know, I'm not your favorite. You love her. You don't love me. And I'm going to get bitter about the circumstances he's allowed in my life. Am I right? Maybe you don't live this. Maybe maybe, maybe it's just me. I don't think so. So then he says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Again, I'm saying to this little Hebrew guy, the writer of Hebrews, I'm saying, you're off on another tangent here. And I know scripture is always in context. And so there has to be context here. <laughs> there has to be context here. And, um, and so I, I, I just need to, oh, I'm sorry, I have to catch up on my notes here. Um, I just need to understand, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, what does that have to do with this? And then I looked up the word fornicator, and it's where we get our word porn, pornography. It means impure. It means somebody who's lustful. And if you look up the word profane, it means a person whose only focus is on physical physical pleasures. Those who seek the pleasure of the flesh versus the higher good. So what does Esau have to do with not growing weary and being discouraged and accepting God's discipline? Do you remember the story of Esau? Who was his brother? Jacob. Who was the older older son? Esau. And, And so the older son gets the what? Birthright. Oh, you guys are good. And so one day Esau goes out and he's, he goes hunting all day and he's super hungry and he comes back and Jacob is making lentil soup. And Esau smells it and he's hungry and he wants some. And Jacob says, oh, you can have some if you give me your birthright. Now, the birthright is a major thing in in Bible times. He would have been entitled to to a double portion of the blessing. Uh, It's a major thing. And and so Esau, even though it was a major thing, he wanted his flesh satisfied. He was hungry, and he wanted to be fed. And so for a single morsel of food, Scripture says, he sold his birthright to his brother. So rather than endure temporary pain and discomfort... (laughs) He gave up his inheritance. Are you with me? Do you see what this has to do with discipline? With hardship coming in our life. With trials coming in our life. With with difficult things coming in our life that God has allowed the enemy to bring into our life for a purpose. Because he knows that he is going to use it to train us. And instead we say, I just don't want to feel this pain anymore. And I just want this And and I don't want to have to endure this anymore. So for a single morsel of food, we give up our birthright. What is our birthright? What is our inheritance? Somebody tell me. Peace that passes all understanding. Joy that's unspeakable. Contentment. Do, Do you understand what is ours in Christ Jesus? More than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. The head and not the tail. Above and not beneath. A lender and not a borrower for a single morsel of food, for a single bit of comfort. I just don't want to have to be uncomfortable anymore, Lord. And so I'll give up everything I know about you, about your word, about your (laughs) promises, about who you are. For that thing that I think is going to satisfy me. e traded long-term security for immediate comfort. Verse 10 says that he's allowing the stuff in our life for our profit that we may become partakers of his holiness. See, holiness means consecration. It means to be set apart. It means I'm going to be different. Spurgeon, again, I'm sorry, I just love him. He says, you will not gain holiness by standing still. Nobody ever grew holy without consenting, desiring, and agonizing to be holy. Sin will grow without sowing, but holiness needs cultivation. Follow it. It will not run after you. You must pursue it with determination, with eagerness, with perseverance, as a hunter pursues his prey. Christ will be the master of the heart, and sin must be mortified. If the Savior has not sanctified you, renewed you, and given you a hatred of sin, a hatred of sin... A hatred of sin and a love of holiness. The grace which does not make a man better than others is a worthless counterfeit. Christ saves his people not in their sins but from them. Second Timothy 2.19 says, Let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And that word depart is a, is a command. We need to choose to depart from iniquity. Holiness Spurgeon says, cannot be gained by standing still. Never, nobody ever grew holy without consenting, desiring, and agonizing to be holy. Sin will grow without sowing, but holiness needs cultivation. I was blessed by this passage this week. Uh, I was reading John Piper, and he said, this text is a lot to take in. He said, there are people who simply do not believe what this chapter teaches, it's not a feel-good chapter about how to make the best of your troubles or even how God makes the best of your troubles. It's a massive statement about the gracious sovereignty of God over evil that befalls his people. And the big if is, will you believe this? Will you accept the mystery of God's providence in the pain of your life and be trained by it for the sake of good and peace and holiness and righteousness and life? Or will you kick against this chapter and demand in the season of suffering that God give a greater account of himself than he does in this chapter? Here's what's fascinating to me. I was saying to Dave, uh, we were talking through this chapter uh, this morning, I think, and, and I said to him, we work with men who have sex addictions. And one of the things we do with these men is we have them do what we call a trauma egg, where, it, because uh, what our training says that if you understand the trauma, you'll understand the addiction. And it works that way with any addiction, with drugs, with alcohol, with gambling, with sex, with, in other words, it's rooted in trauma. And we see it work, where if we take them back and, and we look at their trauma and walk with them through it, they're just medicating, they're soothing themselves, they're numbing themselves and the trauma that they've been through. And, and, and we know this works, we've seen it work. But I said to Dave, as I read this chapter and especially when I look and see pornos and impure people being referenced, I said, Dave, I've, I've got to stop and look at this and, and I have to change the way I'm teaching these men and, and, and women and, and we have to look at it and say that the, the, the trauma that we do the egg about is really the things that God has allowed in their life to train them, to form them to look more like them, like him. And if instead of fighting against it with an addiction, or don't even use addiction, depression, going to bed, being full of anxiety, being full of despair, instead of fighting against it and letting those things manifest in our life, we embraced it. And we said, Lord, I thank you that you're treating me as a son. you see something in my life that needs corrected here and that I'm going to embrace this Lord and I'm going to let you have access to whatever it is in your life and, and and you don't have to fix this I'm going to endure this like you did the cross for the joy that's set before me because I know it's producing something in me that can't be produced any other way I said to Davey, you know, you can say whatever you want about me. I think people just feel like they have this right to just speak into my life. I I didn't give you that permission. I have people in my life that do that. (laughs) But you can say whatever you want. When I stand up here, I stand up here and I share openly and vulnerably to help you. That's why I share my past. Not because I'm not redeemed by it, but because I'm being vulnerable and open with you so that you can identify with the things that have happened in my life and that you can become more than an overcomer, that you don't have to learn it the hard way like I did. And so when I share, I share because of that. But here's what you don't know. It is, I went through some pain, how, uh, some, some brutal, like knock your socks off, not be able to get up off the ground kind of pain, what, nine years ago, 10 years ago. And, and, and like horrible, horrible pain. And and a few people in my inner circle knew about this horrible pain. I know scripture like that. I can quote it inside, outside, and backwards. I got a team that's around me. We pray all the time. I know how to run to Jesus. I know how to pray to Jesus. I don't miss church. (laughs) But that pain knocked me off my feet. And I didn't know what to do with it because it was pain like I have never experienced before in my life. And at first I put on the spiritual, you know, I'm more than an overcomer. You're more than enough, Lord. You're all I need, which are all true statements. But it did nothing for the pain that was exploding inside of me. I would sit before him and I'd be like, Lord, I'm just gonna give this to you and, and, and it would be good for I don't know, an hour <laughs> and it would be back full force. And I would cry and I'd say to Dave, Why is God allowing this in my life? God could have stopped this in my life. Why didn't he stop it, Davey? And and and, and Dave would pray for me, Leslie would pray for me, and, and it was brutal. It was brutal. I had never struggled with anxiety in my life. And all of a sudden, I had anxiety. I wanted to go to bed. I was depressed. I was, I, I was like, Lord, I love you. I must still read your word. But this hurts like the dickens, Lord. And I need you to just take this away from me. Why are you not taking this away from me? I believe you can. Why are you not? I would have prayed for somebody to be delivered from this. And they would have been delivered. Why are you not delivering me? Because he's forming something in me. I said to Davy, "If I had known this, I wouldn't have wasted five years. I wasted five years in pity, party of me. I, I, I wasted five years, Leslie, just pray for me because I don't know if I can get out of bed today. I wasted five years with Davy. What am I going to do? How am I ever going to get through this? This is so painful." And if I had known this, if I had said, Lord, thank you that you saw something in me that needed to be changed. Can I tell you, the the thing that I went through, I thought it was about somebody else. (laughs) It was about me. It's about this ugly stuff that was beneath the surface that I really did not want to look at. It was easier to point the finger. And God said, Ria, I want to clean you up. And I'm not going to let this relent. Until you embrace it and you come up under it and you let me do the work in you that I want to do. I'm telling you, I I meant it with all my heart. David and I talked about it today and I said, Dave, I'd go through it again tomorrow. Because what that formed in me, I couldn't have studied to show myself approved and learned that. I couldn't quote enough scripture that, that would have taught me that. Some things you only learn in the fire. Do, do you know how a refiner knows when you're done? He, he turns up the heat, a, 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 a refiner of gold, and we are being refined as gold. That's what scripture says. He puts the gold in the fire and he turns up the fire. And all of the dross that's in that gold comes to the top. And then the refiner skims it off. And then do you know what he does? Turns it up even higher. And all the impurities in that gold come to the top of the surface and he skims them off. Do you know when he stops doing it? When he can catch his reflection in that gold. That's what the Lord did to me. Man, was it hot fire, wasn't it? It was hot fire. Because I had so much impurity in me. I'm not even going to lie. I'm like, I would say something, I think, where did that come from? I didn't even know that was in me. That's ugly. But see, it brought all that out. God was training me. He was correcting me. And I'm going to tell you what. What son wouldn't want that in their life? It changed my life. But I spent five years fighting against it. Five years with a root of bitterness growing up within me. And it was defiling many. Five years of wasted life. That I could have said, Lord, you got me, baby. I know you got me. And this hurts, but I know you're going to bring me through this light gold. I'm not going to resist it. I'm not going to go grow bitter in it. I want to be a partaker in all that you have for me. Good word. Any questions? No. I have no idea what I'm going to teach next week, but um, we'll, we'll see what the Lord... I have to say, I really, I looked this week at some gospels thinking, may we just go through a gospel? Um, I, I really don't know. I was going to do the mind, and I just don't feel like that's what the Lord wants me to do. So we'll see where he takes this, but let me pray for you before you go. Father, I thank you that you are a good, good father, that you do all things well. And Lord, that everything you do in our life, everything you allow in our life, it's for our profit, Lord God. The enemy does not have more power than you. You are all-powerful. He's under your feet. And Lord God, I thank you that you treat us as sons, that you don't treat us like our sins deserve, that you are with us like a mighty warrior, that you watch over us, that you protect us, that you have graced us with power from on high, that you've given us the power, Lord, to walk through hard things, to endure difficulties and to come forth like gold. And so, Father, I pray for each of my friends here tonight. I pray, Lord, you know, you know what they're going through. You know what's happening in their life right now. I pray, Father, that you would help them keep their eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of their faith, that you would give them the endurance to run their, their race well. And Lord, that you'd be glorified and magnified in all of our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.